Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, February 15th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com for our handicapping the hardwood segment, all college basketball on today's show, and we have a ton of it to talk about on today's program. Lots going on over at ATS.io as well right now. My situational betting articles updated for the NBA and the NHL for this week. Waiting on DraftKings to put up matchups for the PGA Tour event, the Genesis Invitational. Then I'll have that preview up over at the website. Uh, race preview coming up for this weekend's NASCAR Road Course Race. I think it's the Go Bowling or something 235. That'll be previewed over at the website as well. College basketball, NHL, NBA picks and predictions on the daily over there from our talented cast of writers. And of course, I'm working very hard on the 2021 MLB betting guide. 20 first drafts written of the 30 teams. Got a couple of futures pieces, first drafts written already as well. Hoping to have that released here in about 10 days. Looking at next Thursday, February 25th, the day I hope to post those. So a lot of work left to be done on those season win total write-ups. Finally, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration with that. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen, a statistical database to help you with your handicapping, and also the option, if you so choose, to subscribe to the premium model in there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month, to get those picks in that ATS app. And again, you can find that in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Pretty well, man. Uh, start to the week here, another cold, snowy week here in Ohio. So uh, hope you're ready for some more of the winter weather. But it's not too far till we should be getting rid of that, right? It's spring's not too far away. Spring feels a long way away right now. Like yeah. I, I know. I know spring training is going to start this week. And, you know, I saw the Indians tweeting pictures from Goodyear. And I look outside and yeah. I haven't seen grass in like, what, three weeks? Oh, yeah. It's, and now, it's we're getting another, now we're getting another foot of snow today and then more snow on Thursday. I'm, I'm done with this bullshit, man. Yeah, I – uh, I could I could see if you hate snow, this is a rough time of the year. I, I like snow pretty well, but even me, I'm kind of looking forward to the spring at this point, especially those, uh, you know, it's been enough of the cold and snow around here. And I know it's really cold, not just around here, but also a lot of the country, you know, Texas seeing some really low temperatures and snow. So I think probably a lot of people listening to this uh, are pretty cold right now. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to spring. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to spring and, and warmer weather and, uh, you know, baseball season. Obviously, I'm hard at work on that. Mm-hmm. I'm finding out some things for the upcoming year, getting excited about some of the things I've uncovered and, and some of the things I've found in my research. I know you and I will talk a lot about baseball season, whether it's on air or off air, uh, you know, between the two of us. But we got a lot of college basketball left before we get to that point. And we had a question from one of our longtime listeners here, at or, uh, David Rathbun, at Secrets573 on Twitter. Asking about tournament futures and if there's anything that we're kind of looking at. And truth be told, I know you've taken a couple of positions. I haven't taken any as of yet. But you and I wound up having a pretty interesting discussion before we came on the air here about conference tournaments, about the NCAA tournament, and about you know some of the, the differences that we're going to see with this year's not only selection process, but also the qualification process. Yeah, it's kind of a you know, find out as you go 
season. And that, that makes it difficult for futures betting. It makes it difficult for season betting. It makes everything difficult. Obviously, the, this uh, COVID season, things are, are much different than normal. But, you know, not knowing who is going to have conference tournaments and who's not going to. Last week, the NCAA tells everybody, you have to decide by February 26th, which is the end of next week. What you're going to do as far as if you're having a conference tournament, who, how many teams are going to be allowed in it, if so, and if you're not, then the league winner from the regular season will go. And that's something that you and I were discussing here a few minutes ago off air. You know, you would think some of these smaller conferences would be happy to take, you know, the no conference tournament in a year like this. They really wouldn't be able to have many people, if any, in attendance to make money from it. And it's a chance for them to to put their best team into the big dance that might be able to win a game. You know, a team like a Winthrop, like you said, a team like a Belmont, you know, teams like that, that, you know, they might get upset if you play a conference tournament. And so you would think some conferences would be likely to do things like that. On the other hand, there are some conferences who have plenty of reasons to probably want to play it just in case they could get another team in. Like, like you mentioned before we got on air, the West coast conference, I mean, Gonzaga is going to be in no matter what, but we don't know if anybody else would make it from there. So it makes everything here very complicated. And I think we're going to have to follow up on this uh, week by week here for the next few weeks. Yeah, and you think about a conference like the Missouri Valley, for example, where I think Loyola is pretty much locked up in at-large bid. Drake maybe on that bubble. Maybe they have to win the conference tournament to get in. Who knows? But if they're on the bubble and some other teams kind of fall off, maybe you get Drake and Loyola as at-large teams and you could find a third team in the Missouri Valley to get in. So these conferences are going to have some really interesting decisions to make. And furthermore the teams that are in question, whether they'll make the conference tournament or not. Now, a lot of conferences take everybody. It's just one big party. Everybody gets to show up. Usually the bottom feeders are one and done and they kind of go, you know, on home. But, you know, you sent me an article this morning that I hadn't even seen yet that the Mac is only going to have eight teams in Cleveland. Now, generally speaking, what the Mac does is they play those campus site games first. So I don't think they're going to be doing that this time around, or maybe they are, you know, who knows, but you're going to have teams that, you know, if the conference tournament format is truncated and shortened a little bit, fewer teams qualify for it. Well, those teams at the bottom of the standings have absolutely no incentive as we go forward here. So they're just playing out the string. Maybe they play for pride. Maybe they quit. We don't really know, but like you said, I think touch and go and kind of see what happens as things play out. It's it's not ideal from a betting standpoint, but I do think there will be some opportunities here based on what these conferences decide to do regarding the postseason. Absolutely. I think that there could be some opportunities both from a regular season betting standpoint, you know, because as we were talking about beforehand, you know, some of these teams might pack it up and not care if they know that there's a conference tournament to look forward to. And then other teams you know, they might miss the conference tournament, even if they're going to play because they're only going to have eight teams or something in. So you kind of wonder what they're going to think in those last couple games. Do they give one more good effort or do they just shut it down for the season? Um, so one of the best things you can do here now is, is be researching which of these conference tournaments are going to happen. Um, you know, trying to read into things like this. Like I see the, the West Coast Conference says that they're still planning to have it at Orleans Arena. Um, so it makes sense for them to have it like we just said and and i would would expect that to continue but i think there'll be plenty of announcements where you know teams are kind of taking what the ivy league always did in the past and saying 
you know, we just want our top team to get in. And that certainly affects how you bet in the regular season and what you'd want to do with futures. Now, you know, looking at major teams in the futures market, just to kind of answer the question um, of our listener and, and David's listened for a long time and, and uh, has some real good thoughts here. I, I think that, um, you know, it's hard to find a lot of value. I mean, you you look at Baylor and you've got, you know, three to one in most places. Gonzaga, you know, plus 250 or something like that, plus 230. I can't bet a favorite like that going into the NCAA tournament. And, and I know those are the best two teams, but you got to try to find some value somewhere. I think Villanova could be a bit undervalued at some point here. Um, saw them at 20 to one somewhere, I believe, um, plus 1600 here. You know, I think Villanova still has a high upside. I like Jay Wright. I think Villanova has potential. So I think 20 to 1 might be a decent price on them. You know, um, I took Loyola Chicago. It's at a much better price than anything that's available now. They're plus 7,500. I got plus 23,000. So obviously a big difference. Um, I haven't taken anything else. This is usually about the time of the year that we're um, starting to talk about futures and what kind of value there might be. But um, I, I think it's a little bit harder to make those futures bets this year early on based on all the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And as we look at the tournament format for the NCAA tournament, the first four games are on Thursday, first round Friday, Saturday, second round Sunday, Monday, Sweet 16 that following Saturday and Sunday. And so, you know, I think it's also a pretty challenging thing here too, because you've got this all Indianapolis bubble now. So you won't have, you know, teams playing close to home. You know, we know that that always happens with number one seeds and stuff like that. Everybody's in Indianapolis now. So that's going to be something that's going to be kind of a little bit different. Plus these players are largely going to be bubbled. And that more or less means, you know, if they win on, on Sunday or Monday, advance from the second round of the sweet 16, they're probably not going anywhere. They will probably have to stay in Indianapolis for the week to then play Saturday or Sunday. So that's a long time of, you know, being in that same city, not being in your hometown or, you know, where your college or university is, you know, you're trying to practice. They're going to probably open up as many gyms as possible in the Indianapolis area. But, you know, it's just, it's such an interesting thing to see how this is all going to play out. And to me, from a future standpoint, I haven't picked any. I know some people have attacked the futures market, grabbed some prices, uh, as we talked about. You just did with Loyola Chicago. I don't really want to tie my money up with the possibility of, you know, a COVID outbreak or something like that. Now, on the plus side, it does seem like we're on the backside of the curve here for the virus overall, more vaccinations, so on and so forth. So we probably won't have, you know, teams in this bubble that wind up with it, but you never know. It's obviously a very unpredictable virus, to say the least. So that's a big thing to me where, you know, I don't want to invest any of my money, tie it up right now because I'll be investing in MLB futures and stuff like that, uh, you know, as those numbers kind of come out and, and that market sort of gets set up. But you know, also too, like we just talked about, you know, you could, you could generally predict, you know, what's going to happen with a conference tournament, what's going to happen with, you know, the teams that get the automatic bids right now, we don't know. So for me, you know, a lot of times you find the value in the equity and playing kind of those middle of the road, 50, 60, 70 and up, you know, futures prices. We don't really know who all is going to get into this tournament. So I think it's just too hard to do at this point in time, at least from my standpoint. 
Yeah, and I think you know this is something we can revisit too once we once we know about the which leagues are going to do it, which aren't. You know, I know that that will be pushing conference tournament time, but still, you know, we could find some decent values. You know, early March or the very end of February once we realize which these conferences are going to do exactly what. Yeah, we'll definitely revisit this and, and talk about some teams. We won't have the same portfolio that we usually do, but you know, at least I think conference tournaments you know, should present some opportunity here. So, you know, we'll have our conference tournament breakdown shows and then go through all that here uh, beginning the first week of March. So looking forward to that, as far as the NCAA tournament goes, I may just kind of wait and watch and, you know, kind of bet game by game and not really have much of a futures portfolio for that. There was something that you wanted to mention, uh, you know, regarding the evaluation of a handicap. And, and by the way, real quickly, David, thank you so much for the question, man. We appreciate it. Post-game handicapping evaluation, something that you should do. You should always look back at a game and see – why did it win? Why did it lose? Did I get lucky? Did I get unlucky? You know, sort of evaluating those teams for upcoming games. And there was a really interesting spot that you found out in the West Coast Conference here from uh, from here recently. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this because we've mentioned this before, but it's been a while. And I know we probably have some new listeners. Um, I think I've talked about this more, too, in college football context than I have in college basketball. But this is something I always do. I go in after a game. And I basically grayed out how that handicap was. I think it's really a good way to look at, you know, it keeps you honest and it also um, tries to keep you in the mindset of, am I on the wrong, wrong line or am I on the right side? And um, I should have, you know, gotten a different result. A game that stands out to me, Pacific and Loyola Marymount. The first game they played against each other was 58 to 49, 71 possessions. So uh, really poor shooting. Both of those teams are far better defensively than they are on offense. Saturday, 80 to 76. Now, to be fair, I had the under in this game. I did do better this past weekend and have done better this week than what what I had been. But this was one of the losses, Um, you know, 80 to 76. And uh, I turned the game on and I thought, wow, you know, are they playing really fast or what? And afterwards, look and see that it was 60 possessions. So 11 possessions slower then the first game, which finished at 107 points, this one finishes 156. Both teams shot lights out, 1.27 points per possession and 1.33 points per possession. And at the risk of sounding, you know, like uh, I'm just uh, grading myself out pretty well in general, this one graded out higher than some of the ones that actually won for me because, you know, these two teams are not going to shoot like that very often. Look, I know it lost by 26 points, but – 1.27 points per possession, 1.33 points per possession. I mean, that's better than Gonzaga and Iowa's averages shooting. So you wouldn't expect that to happen. And I don't think that was necessarily a bad play. It just, you know, it, that thing happens. You know, it's one game, one game sample size. So I think it's important for people to remember that you want to go back and find out why you lost or why you won that game. If you bet on a, a game and all you do is decide, well, it paid or it didn't pay, and you don't go back and look at it, I think you're limiting your upside in the future because you want to actually see, were you right? Were you wrong? What did you miss on? I, I think that's pretty important. And you look at a game like that, too, and those two teams only combined to go 25 of 36 at the free throw line. So it wasn't like a ridiculous fall fest or anything like that. They just shot well above their season averages. And to me, I would look at a situation like that, and and I'm not necessarily saying that I'm absolutely going to do this, and certainly it's going to be, you know, line dependent as we get later on in the week here, but 
to me, coming off of a massive outlier performance like that, I would probably come back on the under in the next game for both of those teams, just because maybe the price gets inflated a little bit, seeing that last week's game, you know, went so far over the total, so much higher scoring of an expectation than we, than we, you know, would have planned on in a game like that. So maybe you bet the under with those two teams in their next game, expecting that regression to the mean, because they're not all of a sudden after, you know, 20 games or whatever they've played some brand new team. It's going to light up the scoreboard. You know, it's sort of like why you kind of fade a horse after that one huge career high performance or whatever, you kind of expect it to regress again. I would expect both of those teams to regress in their upcoming games. Yeah, I would too. And that, that would be my lean. It's obviously hard when you just bet it and you lost. I know a lot of people who follow me, you know, clients, they really hate losing multiple times in a row with the same team or the same game. So, um, you know, I understand that, but at the same time, if you think there's value, um, I think you have to bet it. So I, I do lean to the under in both of those games coming up and, you know, uh, game specific real quick, I will say Loyola Marymount plays Tuesday against Santa Clara, who's off a big uh, COVID pause. So I would think that that will be an under that gets bet. So if you like the under, you probably want to play that one fairly early because a lot of these unders get bet on games where teams are off a COVID pause. I remember talking about Santa Clara earlier on and, and you and I had a bit of a disagreement about mm-hmm. them. And then of course, you know, they wind up with a giant Not COVID play. pause. Yeah. So, you know, just sort of, I don't know, kind of fits the the motif of what we've sort of had here on the show, but that is a Santa Clara team that has got awful offensively and very good defensively. And, and I would think coming off of a COVID pause that defense will be there first simply because, you know, especially if you're good at it, you know, I think your defense will be there first. The offense is probably what suffers. That could be a game that sets offense back a, a you know, several years. Yeah, I would, I would think that's very possible. You know, we've seen some of those games that uh, have been extremely low. That one has potential to be really low. And, and that's the type of game, too. If they actually make some shots in the early going or if the first half's high, I'd want to bet the second half under because you wouldn't think they'd keep that up. So you might get some spots to bet it even if you don't bet it uh, pregame. All right, one thing you were looking at here, and then we'll kind of get into our usual format, looking at some regression teams, some fade follow teams, and some games here for this week. Uh, speaking of the MAC, you know, we talked about the MAC earlier where they're going to have eight teams in Cleveland and I guess just family and friends for the first round of games. Then they will open it up, and the Cavs are having fans, like your, or the Cleveland Monsters, they're having fans as well. I think it's 15% capacity, something like that. So there will be some semblance of a crowd for the MAC tournament with a lot of alums, of course, in this area. But Bowling Green, a team that kind of piqued your interest here over the weekend. Yeah, because um, I think this one uh, works from a discussion standpoint because Bowling Green, talent-wise, I don't know if anybody's better than them in the MAC, just on on paper. Uh, Justin Turner, probably the best player in the MAC. You know, um, if he's invested, I think he's the best player in the MAC. At the same time, he has not been that good this year, actually. You know, Turner looked at transferring in the offseason and then stayed at uh, Bowling Green, and then he struggled a bit this year. I still think his upside's very high. But Bowling Green in general, they lost six games in a row, and then they go to play at Toledo, and, you know, Toledo, the leader in the MAC, and then they win at Toledo. Obviously, that's a massive rivalry. If you don't know Bowling Green and Toledo, that's a really big rivalry game. Um, they win 88-81. Now I'm kind of wondering, you know, I wonder your thoughts too, Adam, here on 
what's Bowling Green do the rest of the season? Because they're not going to win the regular season tournament. They will be in the MAC conference tournament. Is this a team that you want to bet on because they just beat Toledo and, and, you know, they have a really high upside or is this a team that might just tank the last few games? Yeah, I think it's a really good question to ask, you know I mean? Because look, this is a team that, I mean, in the six games that they lost, you got 96 to Miami of Ohio, 96 to Kent state, 84 to Toledo in the first game, then got their revenge. They were beaten by 18 in that first one, get their revenge on the road, no less in that game over the weekend. Now they got Ball State, Ohio, Akron. I think they show up for the Ball State game because Ball State is a team that you know is kind of on that cut line where you know, they don't necessarily have to worry too much about them. But now I think if you're Bowling Green, you start looking at seeding a little bit and try to set yourself up to not run into Toledo early on in this conference tournament if you don't have to. So that's something where maybe I think you know you try to beat a team like Ball State, give yourself another game of cushion there. Same thing with a team like Miami of Ohio, who they play on March 2nd. I would expect them to play well in a game like that. But as far as the games against Ohio and Akron, yeah, I don't know if they really, you know, put forth a full effort for that one, especially because, as you said, they've been a pretty underwhelming team here uh, outside of the fast start that they had. So I think you kind of look for that. I think you kind of look for games that matter a little bit more, whether it's a rivalry or a seeding thing. And some of the other games, they just, you know, may not be fully focused. Yeah, the other thing that stands out to me about that Ball State game, Ball State beat them 88-64 to at Bowling Green earlier this year. So we just saw them get road revenge against Toledo. It very well could happen here against Ball State, too. And uh, I'm curious to see what that line is. I see Ken Palm has Ball State favored by a point. I don't know that Ball State will be favored in that game. I don't think they probably should be. So it'll be interesting to see where that line is. But I agree with you that, you know, these teams that they played poorly against and the ones who it could factor into seeding, Bowling Green is a team that could win the MAC Conference Tournament. And I'm looking forward to, I, I kind of hope that we get a chance to bet on them in the Conference Tournament with the Futures that hopefully everybody's too low on them. So I, I'm curious to talk about that one once the MAC Tournament comes around. Yeah, I like this one. I think Bowling Green against Ball State tomorrow night's a pretty good look. I'm seeing Torvik's got it, Ball State minus one as well, minus 0.9. So, yeah, we'll see what that number comes out at. But I, I do think that, you know, that's a, a pretty good one to take a look at there. Uh, anything on the injury or COVID front that you want to mention here before we get into the regression candidates? I didn't see any major injuries. I know there are quite a few teams on COVID pauses. I'm, even Ohio, I don't really know that they're going to play anytime soon. So I would say that game, uh, Bowling Green and Ohio, is kind of questionable whether it'll even be played. But, um, I, you know, it seems like the COVID front is getting a little bit better, like you said. So um, we are going to see a lot of teams coming back from these COVID pauses here in the next few days. We'll talk about one game specifically, and then obviously that Santa Clara game, another one. But um, I, I didn't see anything really major injury wise. I did want to mention real quickly, Bradley had suspended their best three players for this weekend back uh, for their next games. I would want to make note of that for sure. But I mean, Bradley has a really poor record in the MVC right now. And I still think Bradley is a team that could be pretty good. So I guess you could argue that I could have put them on a follow team as long as uh, their guys are back. But I think Bradley is a team that, uh, still has up fairly high upside, but you could argue again, you know, if the MVC tournament is what it has been in the past, maybe they just wait for that conference tournament. So uh, that's what makes this year so much different than the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of things to keep an eye on here, especially as we head uh, into the tail end here of the college basketball regular season. And 
with that, we hit on some regression teams here on today's show. And, and I'll go ahead and start here with Wichita State. Now, I think Wichita State's a pretty good team, but they are 8-1 and one in close games as defined by Bart Torvik. Those are games decided by six or fewer points. So 8-1 and one in close games here. They are 16th in Torvik's fun rating, fortune unexplained by numbers. Basically, Ken Pomeroy's luck metric, just with a different name. It's expected win percentage minus actual win percentage. So Wichita State seems like a team that's gotten pretty lucky. And also, too, they've won a lot of those close games here, Kyle. Yeah, Wichita State's a tough team for me to rate. You know, I think Wichita State, um, in general, the American Conference, I'd say, is a bit down from what it used to be. Um, Houston's a good team, clearly. But if you look at the rest of the conference, I don't think anybody's really that great. So, you know, they do have winnable games. Uh, because they play against some pretty bad teams. But, you know, Wichita State is a team that has won a ton of those really close games. Their next couple games are kind of interesting. They do play Houston later this week at home. Houston's really good. Um, Houston's probably been a bit lucky this year as well, as far as, uh, you know, where they should actually be at this point. I don't think they're the sixth best team in the country as, as Ken Palm has them, but they're certainly a very good team. And Wichita State, a team that I'd rather bet against than bet on. So, uh, I tend to agree that this team uh, will probably regress back a bit toward the mean. Wichita State has a negative differential in effective field goal percentage. 46.2% on offense, 46.8% on defense. So, you know, pretty good defensive team in that regard, but they're not an efficient two-point team at all whatsoever. Is is that something that you would look at? You know, a negative differential in effective field goal percentage as as maybe a general sign of regression? Yeah, I think that that's a general sign of regression if you're 12 and four, you know, I mean, this team has been so successful. And yet, like you said, they've won a ton of close games. They won both games that went into overtime. Um, You know, they really haven't played a great schedule either. I mean, they've they've faced um, some decent teams here. Uh, I don't think Wichita State has really been in a lot of tough spots on the road so far this year. They played Missouri at home and Oklahoma State at home. Uh, they did play Houston on the road and Mississippi on the road. But Wichita State, to me, is a team that's a bit untested still. Having said that, I don't know that they'll get too many great tests in the AAC, but they're going to be laying several points uh, multiple times here coming up when they play East Carolina, Tulane on the road. Spots where if you can fade Wichita State as a favorite, I, I would, because I, I think that if they do win some of these games, they'll probably be pretty close. All right, so who's a negative regression candidate for you here this week? Yeah, for me, the first one, uh, well, I'm, I have to say that uh, Cal State Fullerton, you know, this is a team that, uh, you know, to me, we are, we're going to talk about them a little bit more later, so maybe I shouldn't have put them on here. I'll be really quick about this one. They're, they were 264th in effective field goal percentage offense last year. They're 77th so far this year. If you look at the notes before the season, whether you read Blue Ribbon, um, you know, the yearly guide or if you look just online some of the comments their coach was really concerned about their offense and I I think that Fullerton has shot the ball extremely well so far this year Haslametrics has them 14th in the nation in mid-range shooting percentage so far this year this team is not that good on offense so I really think Fullerton is due for some major negative regression on offense and of course too I mean this is something that we've talked about a lot here with regards to you know mid-range shooting how often teams do it how much they rely on a high percentage of making those shots to be good on offense 
you do look for regression in those situations with teams that are reliant on those, you know, low ROI shots for the most part. And you know, though we had a good question and another one on Twitter that I that just crossed my mind about, you know, well, are teams shooting those mid range because that's their offensive plan yeah. or are they facing teams that force them into doing that? And I think it's a really interesting argument, but you and I were kind of in agreement that I think in a lot of cases where, you know, college basketball, not really as advanced analytically as the NBA uh, stuff like that, where it's probably just a lot of poorly designed offense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can pick out some certain teams that you can tell are analytically driven. You know, Alabama is one that stands out to me. Uh, They have a really good head coach. Oates is a really good coach. A lot of shots at the rim are three-point shots. So teams like that, you know, you can tell they have a game plan. But I think there's a lot of teams in college basketball that they just kind of settle for shots because they don't run much of a good offense. They don't move much. It's not as much about the defenses they play as it is about them just settling. At the same time, there are some really good pack line defenses that would force you to take those fadeaway long twos, you know, things like that. So it is specific to the team, but I think that was a great question as well. And uh, if you have any questions, certainly reach out to us via Twitter. Those are always nice to get. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more negative regression one here, and then uh, we'll finish up with a couple of positives on your side. We had to work in the MEAC at some point. So I, I finally <laughs> found something to work in here that Florida A&M, the Rattlers, in five conference games here so far in the MEAC, they're three and two in their five conference games. The opponents in those games have shot 51.3% from the free throw line. Now, I know the MEAC is not a good offensive conference. It really never is. But 51.3% at the free throw line is uh, probably not going to continue. No, it's not going to continue. It, it will be lower than it would in another conference. Certainly, the MEAC is pretty well known for poor three-point shooting, poor free throw shooting. Poor everything, more or yes, less. Yes, let, let's just be fair. You know, that, that that's part of the reason we haven't talked about them so far is, you know, they're just not very good. At the same time, you know, as we've said in the past, um, you know, money spends the same. And if you think Florida A&M is a regression candidate, maybe you look to bet something like overs with them or fade them. I mean, because, you know, free throw defense isn't really a thing, as we know. And and their three-point defense really has been pretty exceptional, too. So are they really going to keep only giving up 27.7% from three? I mean, like we said, they're, they're not going to give up really good numbers because nobody really shoots it that well there. But it's going to get a lot better than it's been so far. And, you know, Florida A&M, a team that will be laying points here quite a bit coming up. Florida A&M is better than a lot of the teams in the MEAC. So I think you'd be careful laying the points is the main thing to say about this because somebody's going to make some shots against them at some point. All right. Well, you know, I I hope people listen to this. You know, the money spends the same thing when we talk about these ultra low major conferences like the MEAC because – you got a couple more teams here from the very low major conferences. And in fact, a couple of new teams to uh, division one, a college basketball here this season, Dixie state and Tarleton state, two teams that are positive aggression candidates for you. Yeah. As it worked out, we kind of are talking about three straight teams that are about as far under the radar as you could get. I mean, you know, they're not going to hear other people talking about these teams, not in depth. Uh, so Dixie State's defense, to me, I looked at this one and I kind of double-checked it by looking at both Bart Torvik and Haslametrics because this one stood out so much that Dixie State's defense is bad, but their opponents are shooting 
51 and a half percent 101 for 196 on farther twos according to torvik so these are long twos that are going in just consistently that's five percent higher than any other team in the country is allowing so we know that dixie state's defense is bad and i'm not arguing that they have a good defense by any means but it's hard to be 5% worse than 340 some other teams. And I don't think that will continue for Dixie state. So you would think that has to improve at least somewhat. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Dixie state. You know the, the, uh, the mascot there with Dixie state. Oh yeah. The trailblazers. The trailblazers. Yeah. Look at, see, I would not have known that one up until this year. Uh, but that's, that's an interesting one there. It's certainly a good one. I like that one quite a bit. Uh, but we stay in that same WAC conference here, though, talking about Tarleton State. And in fact, I believe, I don't know if the schedule is right on Torvik. I'm checking this here as I'm talking, but I believe these two teams actually play each other this weekend. Yeah, they do. I didn't, I didn't do that on purpose, but um, I think Tarleton State is uh, so far this year, 48.9% on close twos, according to Torvik. They have some pretty good players. I think Tarleton's uh, a lot more talented team than is Dixie State. So um, I would lean toward taking Tarleton in those games, even though I just said Dixie State is a, a defensive positive regression candidate. I think Tarleton, uh, Billy Gillespie, you know, we know he's been at bigger jobs before this. I think he's a pretty good coach, at least for whack, you know, basketball. Tarleton State, a team that should be better than this offensively. They have some height compared to some of the other teams in this conference. Um, so, you know, I think that down low, some of those guys, uh, Jackson, uh, Del Cinco, you know, guys like that for them. Uh, if they're healthy and they're able to play, I know they missed a couple games there against Utah Valley, but um, I think these guys still have a decent upside and and I would lean toward taking Tarleton State in some of these games. I will say, I'm going to call myself out. I didn't know what Tarleton State's nickname was. I was sitting here trying to think of what it might be. It's the Tarleton State Texans. So I was thinking, what is it, Tigers? You know, Tigers is always a decent guess, but I didn't know that one offhand. Maybe this is an over candidate. This one's a little bit of a pace war game, which is, is pretty interesting here too, right. because you know, we, we love talking pace wars. So I guess we can kind of transition to talking about that for a minute, but you know, Dixie state, a team that, you know, like you said, that they're probably going to get a little bit better on defense, but Tarleton shoots very well from three when they actually do it. And they're struggling on those close twos. They don't take a ton of shots in the mid range. So maybe this isn't the best spot for Dixie state to see some positive regression, but maybe both of these teams wind up scoring a little bit. Maybe Tarleton State plays at Dixie State's tempo to a degree. I guess we'll see what these lines look like Friday and Saturday. But it's another one where, you know, as we talked about, handicapping evaluations after the game is finished, these two teams play each other back-to-back Friday and Saturday. So look and see what happened Friday. See if you can apply it to Saturday. See if Tarleton got to the rim a lot. See if they took a lot of threes. You know, see if Dixie State forced them into the mid-range. And Tarleton had problems with that. Maybe some good opportunities available, potentially not Friday, but certainly Saturday. Yeah, I think that's uh, possibly the case. Um, a lot of these under the radar ones, too, if you get a really big outlier in the first game, people can miss that, you know, because they're looking at all these major conference games for Saturday. So I think that's a good note to make as well, too. Um, before you place your bets for Saturday, try to go back and look at those smaller conference games and see if anything really was out of whack in that game on Friday. Out of whack. I get it. You like it? I like <laughs> it. Did you do that intentionally? I did not. Oh, <laughs> After man, that's it, good. Yep. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I like that. I can't believe we just spent like five or six minutes talking about. How, how do we do that? I yeah. don't know. 
I have no idea. Uh, I don't think any other show spending that much time on Dixie State and Tarleton State, though. I, I, I think I can confidently say that. I don't know if we get the handicaps right, but I think we can confidently say that uh, we're spending more time on those two schools than a lot of the other shows out there. All right, so let's talk about some fade candidates here for this week. And I've got a couple on the fade side, a couple on the follow side. Same thing for you here as well. So that looks like a pretty good segment for us. Let's start with mine. And the first fade team that I've got here is Central Arkansas. So again, we stay well under the radar here going down to the Southland Conference. Central Arkansas is a bad team. I mean, they're 3-15, and 15, they're 2-8 and eight in conference play. So it may sound kind of easy and sort of like a cop-out to call them a fade team but it's because of who they play this week that i want to fade them they play Stephen f austin on wednesday and they play Nichols on saturday this is a team that turns it over more than 24 percent of the time on offense and has a takeaway less than 15 percent of the time on defense and when you look at the southland conference usually a lot of high turnover rates on defense because teams down there just don't really take care of the basketball but central arkansas doesn't take care of the basketball and they don't take advantage of turnovers from the other team. Stephen F. Austin, 1.312 points per possession in the first game, won the turnover battle 19-10. to 10. Nichols shot really badly from three in the first game against Central Arkansas, but I would expect that to be something that they not only improve upon, but also take fewer threes in the second game. So I'm looking to fade Central Arkansas both on Wednesday here against Stephen F. Austin and Saturday against Nichols. I like this one a lot. Um, you know, I always try to find one I disagree with. I can't disagree with this one because I, I really think this is a good fade. If you look at the first game, Stephen F. Austin ran them out of the gym. Uh, I know that they play them at home now, but uh, Stephen F. Austin will take money. So I think that's important to point out that if you like them when it opens at nine or nine and a half in favor of Stephen F. Austin, you want to bet it right away because Stephen F. Austin has been taking money almost every game. And like you said, if you can't force turnovers in the Southland, you're going to be in trouble because that's really most every team's weakness here is they turn the ball over a lot. And somehow they're forcing less than 15 percent of uh, possessions to end in a turnover. So that's a big problem. And I think Nichols State is liable to run them out of the gym in that second game. So I like both of these as fade candidates here. Yeah, we look at this uh, this Central Arkansas team, two games with a turnover percentage over 20%. The season opener against Memphis, and then when they played Champion Christian, I think wow. that is. Whatever the hell they are, I don't know. We'll have to, I'll have to look up that mascot oh, as you're gosh. giving you the first fade team. Uh, okay, said so Champion Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm. I don't know if I'm worried or excited that you're looking up the mascot up, but no. I mean, you, you've got, you've got. Uh, as far as me, I'll give a fade team that is less under the radar. I have to say, I don't think we could have possibly been much more under the radar than we were those last couple. Um, Missouri is my first team. They, I think they've been very lucky so far this year their offense is not good enough i don't trust conzo martin's teams and march either they're 11th in luck factor according to ken palm i think missouri's a long-term fade uh not enough guys on their team that can score offensively consistently they do play hard but i think missouri is a team that has a limited upside and based on what their ranking has been i think uh missouri's overrated i think they're a good fade here in the long run the rest of the way yeah, I think so, too. I know you're not a big Quanzo Martin guy, and, and that's really been kind of a thing for us on this show for a while. Uh, so Missouri, definitely a fade team that I could get behind. Uh, the champion Christian College Tigers. So not anything it wasn't exciting. super exciting there in <laughs> Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
uh, apparently. So, uh, yeah, some of Central Arkansas's better performances of the season. They won that game 92 to 28. So, uh, 0.361 points per possession for the uh, champion Christian College Tigers in that one. My apologies for laughing if there are any uh, alums or current students listening to the show here. Uh, the second one for me, a major conference team, a little bit of a surprise here to get one of those for me, but I think Pitt is a fade team here. Pitt 13th in ACC play in both two-point percentage offense and defense. So they're not very efficient offensively. They're not very efficient defensively. They get blocked a lot on offense. They don't block a lot on defense. They're 13th in, in free throw shooting. They're first in free throw shooting defense, which simply just means that you know, teams aren't cashing in their free throws against them, but probably will here as we go forward. And Pitt's defense is, is really falling off here too. At least 1.075 points per possession allowed or more in each of the last six games. So this is a team that just, you know, the ACC is not great this season, but Pitt still managed to find a way to look pretty bad statistically. So I'm not really looking to back the Pitt Panthers here at all. I'd probably like to fade them more than anything. I was going to say, is this a long-term fade here kind of the rest of the season? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah. They, they do have one game coming up here where they play Clemson at home, and I, Clemson on the road is fade material. So I do wonder if I would want to go against Pitt in that game. But in general, I do think Pitt is a good fade the rest of the way. All right, so what's the other fade team for you? Belmont. Now, this is a sh- short-term fade. Uh, if you look what they've done this year, they're 16-5 and five ATS. They have to be overvalued some. They're averaging 1.19 points per possession in league play. That's really hard to sustain. Uh, Almost certainly already locked up the regular season title, but they're going to be laying big numbers here the rest of the way. Belmont's a good team. I'm not saying they're not a good team. And this is more of just a uh, sell high spot for me. I think Belmont has played a really weak schedule. I mean, we talked about that recently. Now they've, they've still won their games. They have a couple tough games coming up and that last game of the year at Moorhead state's pretty interesting, but I think Belmont's a, a good short-term fade here just because the market has to be so high on them at this point. I think it's interesting. Part of me wants to disagree with you here because they're 16-0 and in conference play. Because now at this point, it's not really about winning the regular season because they're going to do that. It's about running the table. It's yeah. about going 20-0 and in the regular season if they can do that. However, that being said, I mean, they're going to be a big favorite against Jacksonville State here coming up on Thursday They'll be a massive favorite against Tennessee Tech coming up over the weekend. So they're going to be laying really big numbers. If they're engaged, they'll probably cover them. If they're not, then, you know, we'll see what happens. But to me, this is one of those things, like, if they happen to lose that game on the road at Eastern Kentucky February 25th, I'd fade the hell out of them against Moorhead State on the 27th. If they lose a game and can't run the table, I think there's a clear and well-defined hangover effect after that game. The problem is I don't think they lose either one of their home games this week. Yeah, I agree with you. If they would happen to lose one of those games, they'd be a good bet against in the next game, but not sure that's going to happen. But I still think um, going against them in that Eastern Kentucky matchup and or the Moorhead State matchup on the road could could be a good way to look. Even if they win that game, they're going to be laying quite a bit on the road against teams that are pretty good. The Moorhead State one's interesting, too, because you've got one of those quick Thursday-Saturday turnarounds, and Eastern Kentucky runs about as fast as humanly possible. And that first game against Belmont, between Eastern Kentucky and Belmont, Belmont scored 92 points in that game, played to 79 possessions. It was Eastern Kentucky that couldn't score. I had a pick on the over uh, over at bangthebook.com for a spotlight game preview, but 
you know, uh, Belmont's going to play a high up-tempo game in that one against Eastern Kentucky and then play a Moorhead State team that's very good defensively. So that may be a really tough spot for them that we can revisit on next week's show a little bit. I'll let you start here with a follow team and, uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit of the glass half full finally. Yeah, I have one uh, follow team here, and I, I think it's really a good one, and it's way under the radar. Loyola, Maryland. Now, first thing I want to say about them is they've played nine games so far this year, and six of them have been against the same opponent at Lafayette. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to say that again. You know, a team has played nine games, and six of them are against one team. So, um, you know, Patriot League, a lot of teams have been on COVID pauses. You know, this is a spot where you're not going to see this very often. Uh, what's been going on? Lafayette's a good offense, uh, very efficient offensively. Loyola has maybe the best player in the conference in Santi Aldama. Um, you know, really, really consistent, good front court player there for Loyola, Maryland. I think this team that now that is two and seven on the season, but has lost all kinds of close games. They have lost seven games. and Only one of them has been by more than four points. They've lost two games in triple overtime. Uh, to me, uh, opponents shooting very high, 43.4% on farther twos, according to uh, Torvik. This is a team that has regression in positive way all over them. I think this is a really good long-term follow. Yeah, as we look at this one here, they, they're supposed to play Saturday and Sunday against Lehigh. And, and Lehigh, at least according to Torvik, the worst team in this conference. So those may be back-to-back buy spots, to, to say the least. I mean, maybe they just don't match up well with Lafayette. Maybe they didn't match up well with American, although those were two very, very close games. You've got to think that they match up a lot better here against Lehigh on Saturday and Sunday. So, um, you know, again, obviously, we'll see how the Saturday game goes. Maybe you can play according to that for Sunday's game, but I, I like this one too, especially you know, that, that familiarity thing of, of playing the same team six times. It's nuts. I mean, like the, the blues and the coyotes play tonight in the NHL. It's the seventh straight game between the two teams because wow. of COVID cancellations and postponements. Like you just, you don't see those things, man. They're massive outliers to say the least. Absolutely. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't realize that it was seven in a row. I know they'd playing a lot. I've been playing a lot, but wow, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I like this one. This is one of my favorite ones. I like a lot of the points you make on this show, but I think that might be one of the best ones here where I think Loyola is a play on team in both of those games against Lehigh coming up here this weekend. So I got a couple of follow teams here and, you know, we'll see, uh, obviously the Mac has certainly had its share of, you know, COVID pauses and, and other things that have kind of gotten away with the Buffalo Bulls on a Mac on today's show for what it's worth, but the Buffalo Bulls, a team that I'm looking at here. They play Eastern Michigan on Tuesday. Eastern Michigan coming off of a COVID pause, so a good spot there for Buffalo. Then on Friday, they host Toledo, and that should be a really big game. Both teams should be very much amped up for that one. But when I look at Buffalo, they are seventh in Haslametric's proximity on offense, fifth in percentage of near proximity attempts. So this is a team that plays at the rim a lot. So for Eastern Michigan, a team that's probably not going to do much offensively on Tuesday, Buffalo should get a lot of high percentage looks at the rim, so I like that. And then on Friday, playing Toledo, Toledo takes a lot of threes. So Buffalo with a safer offensive profile with a lot of stuff at the rim against the Toledo team, it's going to take a lot of long jump shots in a road environment. I think Buffalo is a follow team here this week, and this is going to be a short-term follow for me. 
You know, I'm kind of neutral on this one. So if I had to disagree with one, I guess I, you know, my disagreement here would be Eastern Michigan might be a bit of a tricky matchup because they play that matchup zone. It's hard to get inside against them. You know, I think Buffalo will get a lot of offensive rebounds. So maybe they win that way. Um, you know, usually Eastern Michigan makes teams shoot a lot of threes. Buffalo doesn't usually shoot that many threes. So what's going to happen in that game? I'd be a bit worried to lay, you know, 11 or 12 points in a game like that. I, I think Toledo is probably a better matchup to to back a team like Buffalo. And that's going to be a, a big game that I assume is probably on uh, national TV. I'm not sure for sure. But, um, you know, I, I think Buffalo is a team that is a bit inconsistent. So I, I don't really disagree strongly, but I, I don't love this one either. All right. Well, that's fair. I think that game's on ESPNU on Friday against Toledo. Okay. So. Uh, should be visible. I think the one against Eastern Michigan's on ESPN Plus for anybody who has a subscription there. Um, this is going to be kind of a thing. We sort of talked about it a little bit already here uh, in passing with Clemson, and we'll talk about it more in a little bit. It's something we've talked about a lot here on this show, specifically on our Wednesday segments with Kiev O'Neill regarding Minnesota. There are some teams that are just a lot better at home and, and just got awful on the road. A team that's got awful on the road plays at home today against Hampton and plays three home games this week. It's the Longwood Lancers down in the big South conference. They're shooting 37.3% from three at home, 30.1% from three on the road. They're almost 13% better at the free throw line at home than they are on the road. A team at seven and three straight up at home, one in 10 on the road. So Longwood's taking on Hampton tonight at home. Last I saw that line was about Longwood minus six or so. They play Gardner-Webb at home later in the week and then Hampton again. So I think Longwood being at home here in that comfortable environment where they've played really well, I like them here in, in really all three of their games this week. Yeah, I think Longwood is a good team to back at home. I, I think that, like you said, you know, they're, they're one of those extreme um, home road split teams. And I think that is important. You know, we've seen time and time again, just to go with what you guys have said about Minnesota, Minnesota is just brutal on the road. I mean, they they're just a, pure fade candidate on the road but at home they can play really well you know the barn uh, they can get some work done I think Longwood is a good back here at home and they're not going to be playing any teams that have far better talent than them than them here so this is a team that I think could be a good buy candidate as well all right so there was something that you wanted to ask me here usually I do a lot of the asking you know being the host of the show but there was something that you wanted to ask me regarding coaches and performance late in the year yeah, so let's talk about which coaches have been really good um, late in the season. And I'm going to use game 18 on. It's hard to pick a, an ac- actual exact um, game number because there's several teams that have played 10 or 12 games this year. There's also teams that have played 22 or 23 games. So um, I'm going to pick from game 18 on. So we're talking about coaches that do well at the end of the season. I think most teams are somewhere close to this time range. What this is is really a gauge of which coaches help their teams improve the most most late in the season. So I'm wondering, Adam, uh, I've got the top three here. Can you give me a few guesses and see if you can get at least one right? All right, let's see here. Uh, Do we have a cutoff on the sample size? Uh, All of these are at least 100 games of sample size. Okay. All right. Uh, Well, Tom Izzo is the first one that comes to mind. It seems like kind of a square pick. That one, maybe he's not in there now. Uh, he probably would have been, you know, recently. Uh, I, I would assume Chris Beard is up there. I think he's another guy that's very good. Um, 
does does Porter Moser have the sample size to be in there? Uh, I'm not sure. He's not. He's not one of them. But I don't, I'll I'll look as you're as you're guessing here to see what these other guys have exactly. All right, and then another one here. Oh man, I mean, is is this like super chalk heavy? Is it like a Jay Wright? It's it's not Jay Wright. I will say that two of the three, the top three, are are fairly well known coaches. So um, you haven't said any of them yet. So I'll, I'll give you a couple more. Give guesses. me a conference. So one of them is from the Pac-12. Dana Altman. You got it. That's number one. Okay. Dana Altman, 160 ATS. That's 20.7 ROI, 20.7% ROI, betting him from game 18 on. Uh, I think clearly the best coach in the Pac-12. I don't think there's any question about that. And actually, Oregon could be a really good buy on team. Uh, you know, a team, Oregon, that's had a lot of COVID issues, had a lot of injuries, I think right now Oregon's probably underrated. Um, another another hint, uh, one's from the Big East. The Big East. Uh, not Willard. No, it's Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley. Uh, I, 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 you talked about Providence last week and, and kind of wondering like why this team hadn't gotten any better. I, I should have put two and two together there. Yeah, I thought you might get Ed Cooley, so I'm a little disappointed in you now. I mean, 86, 86 and 59 ATS, uh, 15.1% ROI. And then the one that's in the middle of this um, is a mid-major coach. I don't know if I want to try to make you guess this one or not. He is a certainly a very good coach, and his team's very good. So I don't know if you want to guess one mid-major coach, then I'll give it to you. Oh, man. Um. Is it uh, what's his name? Is it Craig Smith from Utah State? That's a good guess. His teams have been good, but it, it's actually Scott Nagy from Wright okay. State. So um, his teams are sixty-one and forty A two ATS. That's seventeen point six percent ROI. Uh, so he's done very well. As far as your other guesses, just real quick for listeners: Tom Izzo ninety-two and eighty-seven. Um, wow. A few years ago, he would have been a lot better. I, I do think Izzo is not quite the same coach he used to he's, be. He's lost some zip on his fastball. Yeah, I, he has. That was something that, that Brad Powers and I talked about. I don't know if it was on the show or if we talked about it before the show last week. But, like, these hallmark coaches at all the major programs, the game has passed them by now. Yeah. Guys yeah. like Coach K, like Bill Self, I think, to a degree, Izzo. You know, the, the only one – the one that I love, and maybe it's just because he's kind of a younger guy still – is like Jay Wright just yeah. kind of adapts to the times and his teams are always good. Yeah, he's a great coach for sure. Um, I, I agree with you that a lot of those guys that have been around a long time haven't really adapted the way they should. And Jay Wright has shown that he's willing to play at different styles and paces regardless. You know, he doesn't have one way that he has to play. He can change things around, certainly. You said Porter Moser, he's 64 and 52. So he's he has been very good. Can't remember your other guesses, but... Uh, uh, you, you did mention some guys that have done pretty well. Uh, I'll, I'll just say a few other names here real quick so that people can, uh, maybe we'll look at the other side of this next week. Who's, who's been some of the worst coaches, or at least I'll, I'll mention that at some point. But, Kevin Willard was one I said from Seton Hall, but okay. I, I, think, I think a big part of it with Seton Hall was that in his first few years, they weren't great. Like I bet recently he's been pretty good at it. 
He's 67 and 70 ATS. Um, I don't have the splits right in front of me unless I get rid of this uh, filter by query. So I'm I'm not going to do that right now because I have a lot of coaches saved in here as far as coaches to back late in the season. But uh, Willard's 67 and 70. I do think he's a good coach. So um, one other one that stands out, Jim Less, um, you know, he, he's done really well. Uh, he he uh, is is um, UC Davis coach. So UC Davis hasn't played hardly any games this year. So I guess you could say, I don't know if this one really fits perfectly because they, they really haven't played, but I think it's interesting to see what kind of coaches have done really well. And, and to your credit, you got Dana Altman right away and he's pretty easily number one and money made if you just bet on him blindly from game 18 on. So I guess that's one more bonus buy on team for me as Oregon. Is, is there anything better than getting Oregon at like six, seven, eight to one to win the Pac-12 conference tournament? No, like, probably, probably <laughs> not. Like that dude is so good in that tournament. Right. I wonder what their price will be this year. I don't know, but I kind of, you know, selfishly, I kind of hope that they don't play too great in some of these games coming up because it might ruin their futures value for that, right? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you consider, you know, a team like Colorado is kind of leveling off a little bit now. And, you know, that's a team that I, I think, you know, we probably would have seen – get a really good futures price in that tournament, but they're kind of leveling off now to the point where, I don't know, maybe that kind of hurts Oregon's price a little bit. Man, I love our conference tournament shows. I'm looking forward to that. I know it's kind of an effed up crazy year, but I really do love when we do those shows. We get a lot of good thoughts out there to the listeners and we're not that far away from them either. We are not. We are not. We're, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I kind of like the the mixed in trivia here to, to lead to uh, hopefully helping some people with uh, coaches that are good to back here the rest of the way. I can't believe I didn't get Dana Altman. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, like the second you said Pac-12, I'm like, son of a bitch, Dana Altman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one more I'm going to say, Steve Alford, 102 and 71. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't, he probably doesn't get too much credit as far as being good at the end of the year. So uh, that's kind of an under the radar one that people wouldn't have expected. I feel like Nevada could be pretty dangerous in that Mountain West Conference tournament. It's a good league, yeah. but I feel like they, they, I mean, they're, they've won four in a row. I mean, they're, they're kind of doing exactly what Alford does at, at this point in time. You know, they've played 21 games, they've won four in a row. So if game 18 was your cutoff, I mean, you know, obviously we're not talking ATS. We're just talking straight up there, but they were five and five in their first 10 conference games. And now they've won four in a row. And like, you know, just it's, I think it's important to pick up on those things. I really truly do. All right. So let's talk some games here. We got a lot of games to get to. I'm not even sure how long we've gone already on the show, but uh, we'll go through these games in, in kind of quick fashion. If we can here, some bigger games, you know, we talked about a lot of under the radar teams, but we'll talk about a few bigger games here uh, during the game breakdowns. Starting on Tuesday with Texas and Oklahoma, and I mean, you know, obviously this is the game that draws the top billing. It's, you know, two of the best teams in action on Tuesday night. What what do you think about this matchup here where I'm seeing Torvik with Oklahoma in the minus two range? Yeah, you know, Texas lost at home to Oklahoma 80 to 79, but there was a lot about that game that would make you think that, you know, it's it's not wouldn't be easily duplicated for for Oklahoma. Uh, Ramey and Sims were both out for Texas, two very key players. Andrew Jones was 0 for 7 on threes. Texas was 6 for 25 on threes overall, and they still only lost by a point. So, 
I would lean toward Texas here in this game. The thing that gives me some pause, Texas has not exactly been good uh, in these big games here lately. And on the road, they lost that game to Oklahoma State in double overtime. They did win at West Virginia there a while back, but really their form lately has not been very good. And I know that some people think there is no such thing as momentum, but uh, you know, even though I do like to look at the numbers, I do think there is such thing as momentum. And uh, Texas has not been playing very well. They won by three points at Kansas State. So I don't know. I'm, maybe you have stronger thoughts about this one than I do. I don't want to lay the points here with Oklahoma. I think probably one and a half or something is what this line would be at. I think two might even be a little bit too much for Oklahoma. So I don't know. I, this, this is a tough game for me. I think I'd probably be kind of looking at the under in this one. You know, the first game, as you said, 159 points, 75 possessions. 75 possessions is a fairly quick pace for, for these two teams. I know that Oklahoma's kind of played some quicker games here of late, but, you know, Texas is a team that's usually pretty controlled from a tempo standpoint. Oklahoma, 205th in adjusted tempo in the nation. Just feels like I wouldn't expect both teams to have as much offensive success or to play that fast of a game. So I don't know what you have this one listed at for a total, but I, I would kind of lean towards the under if it's in that, you know, 142-ish range. Yeah, I think 141 and a half, 142 is where this one will be. We also should say that Oklahoma just won that double overtime game at West Virginia. Um, maybe that makes this a bit of a tough spot for them. So um, spot-wise, it looks like Texas would be the play, but they haven't really been playing very well. So I'm, I'm a bit cautious on that. Another game that we're looking at here for Tuesday night, and again, a game in a bigger conference, the Big Ten, Michigan State and Purdue, one that you're looking at here. Torvik's got this one, Purdue minus seven. Not sure where you fall with the number, but what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I I don't think you're going to get any better than minus seven because Michigan State's been playing really badly. And um, I don't I don't mean to, you know, crap on uh, Tom Izzo a lot or anything. I actually like Izzo and I like the Spartans pretty well, but it seems like to me, Michigan State, maybe they're just bad this year. Maybe they're not really not very good. They only really have one good win this year. You could say two, maybe, I guess, with the win at Rutgers, uh, 68 to 45 at home. But at Duke, looked like a great win at the time, but Duke's not good. So um, that said more about Duke than it did about Michigan State. Um, you know, Purdue beat Michigan State 55-54 at East Lansing. And that was a game that Purdue was three for 24 on three pointers and they won that game on the road. They should have never won that game. That was a kind of a fluke ending, certainly. So you could argue this is a good spot for Michigan state. But one of the reasons I want to talk about this game, Michigan state just lost by 30 at home to Iowa. Now they go on the road, a chance for road revenge against Purdue and coming off an embarrassing loss to Iowa. If they don't circle the wagons and have a good effort here, Michigan state might be a good fade the rest of the way. Yeah, I like that too. I, I like looking for spots like that here late in the season of, you know, if this team doesn't show up in a spot where they absolutely should, mm-hmm. then they're on the shit list. I mean, they're they're totally on the fade list to say the least. One thing I will say about Purdue real quickly here is that it's very well publicized, the home road splits for Minnesota, but Purdue's a hell of a lot better at home than they are on the road too. I mean, their shooting yeah. percentages are much, much different. Agree. And actually, you see a lot of these splits in the Big Ten for what it's worth. So um, it's it's fairly common in the Big Ten. But Purdue, um, you know, they played some games there without um, uh, Stefanovic, I believe his name is. Yeah, Sasha Stefanovic. And now he's back in the lineup. Um, you know, I think Purdue still has a 
a decent upside. You know, the Big Ten's really good. I mean, there are some really good teams in this conference. As a Big Ten fan, I'm kind of hoping that one of these years soon, a Big Ten team will win the NCAA, NCAA tournament so we don't have to just say year after year, you know, okay, Mateen Cleaves, that was the last time somebody won. You know, it's getting a little bit old. But the Big Ten is really good. Um, Purdue, if I was betting this game, I think I'd bet the under Purdue and Michigan State because the first game was 55 to 54 with 61 possessions. Ken Palm has this one at 135. I think that's too high. Uh, he's projecting 67 possessions for this game. I don't know why that this game would be played that fast. So my strongest lean here is the under. All right, as we take a look here at a couple of Wednesday night games, I've got one here in the A-10. This one's scheduled between VCU and Richmond. And again, you know, last week on the show, we had all kinds of issues because games were canceled and, and this and that. Hopefully these games all wind up getting played that we're talking about here because Richmond, uh, they've had a couple of different COVID pauses where they've kind of been held out of action. But this is one that's, you know, I mean, this is a big-time rivalry, crosstown rivalry here between Richmond and VCU. Any thoughts on this one where, you know, we don't have a whole lot of data points for Richmond of late? Well, Chris Mooney has been good late in the season as well. Now, they're not at game 18 or farther because they've had so many games canceled, but he's he's in top 10 for those coaches to back late in the season. Um, you know, this is a huge rivalry game. To me, VCU, uh, we know what they are. They want to play fast. They want to force turnovers, um, a lot of offensive rebounds. This is a team that is very scrappy thing about it to me is Richmond doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, they're eighth in turnover percentage in the country and they're first in this league, less than 13% of their plays in league play have been turned in, turned into turnovers. Um, my lean here is Richmond. Uh, I don't know what this line will be because Richmond really hasn't played anybody in a long time. They played St. Mary's of Maryland um, on Sunday, won 90 to 49. And before that they hadn't played since January 26. So um maybe minus one, minus one and a half. Um, Ken Palm has this one minus two for, for Richmond. I, I hope we could get a better price than that. Maybe you'll be able to take Richmond money line at a you know, minus one fifteen or something like that. But I like Richmond a bit here. Yeah. And, and that's always the question, you know, a team that hasn't gotten a lot of reps lately against a team that forces a lot of turnovers, do they take care of the basketball? And, and if they do, you know, obviously that changes the dynamic of the game completely. And the one thing I will say is, you know, look, a lot of these teams coming off of the COVID pause have struggled. And last week we talked on Thursday's show about the Manhattan and Iona game. And Iona came out and looked like they had been playing all along, you know, in that game against Manhattan. So it can happen, but you don't want to fall victim to the outlier data point of one team winds up looking really good, you know, something like that to where, you know, you, you leave off a winner because you're kind of scared off from, you know, oh, well, this team looked good coming off COVID. Most teams probably won't. So at least yeah. Richmond got a game in, but, you know, certainly a huge step up in class here. Yeah. Adam, did, did you have to bring up the Iona, Iona and Manhattan game? I mean, I, I was actually having a pretty good Monday here. So um, I, I double lost that game. I had Manhattan and the under in that first game. So that one, that one hurt a lot. I rarely do that. Um, certainly didn't expect Iona come out and put up 49 points in the first half of that game. And of course, of course, Manhattan wins the second game. Right. But um, I, like you said, that's a one-time thing. And we've seen a lot of bad performances off those COVID pauses. I still think it's clearly a negative. It's getting priced into the market. So be careful with that. But, you know, like you said, that was just one game. All right. Another game on Wednesday here that we're taking a look at this one from the ACC. You wanted to touch on this one, Clemson and Notre Dame. What are you looking at here? 
Yeah, I like Notre Dame in this one quite a bit. Um, this is your premium look ahead if we're talking about games that I'm likely going to be betting this week. Um, Clemson, to me, is a pure fade on the road. They have to prove that they can beat somebody on the road before I uh, want anything to do with with uh, a team like this. And I'm Adam, as I'm sitting here talking, I, I don't even know if this game's going to be played. It's been pulled from Ken Palm now, so I, I hate to do this again. But uh, I don't know if Notre Dame's on a COVID pause or something. I'm I'm going to try to look as I'm talking. But uh, this, if this game is played, this was your look ahead for for this week. Yeah, this game just got postponed. Um, an hour and a half ago. So nice. uh, positive, positive COVID test for Notre Dame. Uh, so I apologize everyone, but this game won't be played. So let's, let's move on. Well, on the plus side, I mean, you know, Clemson's a bad road team. So that's still something for people to keep in mind as we go forward here, a couple of Thursday game, well, a Thursday and Friday back to back for me. And, and this could potentially be extremely, extremely relevant because as we talked about at the top of the show, Teams have to decide by February 26th what they want to do with regards to the automatic bid. Does it go to the regular season winner or will there be a conference tournament? In the America East on Thursday and Friday, Vermont plays at UMBC. 7 o'clock tip on ESPNU Thursday, 5 o'clock tip on Friday. So a very quick turnaround if this winds up being a close game, an overtime game, something like that. But these two teams here, Tied atop the conference at nine and three. Vermont's only played those 12 conference games, UMBC four and one outside of conference action. But this could be really telling because if America East decides to go with the regular season champion, it could likely be decided this weekend. It absolutely could be. And, um, you know, I think UMBC has a chance here because Vermont has been so much better than everybody else a lot of these years. Obviously, UMBC won the conference tournament uh, that time and then pulled the upset against Virginia. We all know how that went. But Odom's a good coach, um, really good coach in the America East. To me, uh, Vermont is a team that is still the best team in this conference, but the gap isn't near as wide as it has been. I think I would lean under in these games. Ken Palm has this 134 for the total. That's probably about what it'll be. I lean under thinking that these are probably the two best defenses in this league. I don't think the pace will be very fast either. I don't have any strong lean on the side, but like you said, these games are going to mean a lot because we also don't know how many more games these teams are going to play because these teams have been quicker to cancel games than some of the other teams in other leagues. So I think these games mean a ton. Yeah, and the thing that's so interesting, and I mean, this happens, you know, in conferences like the Big South and something like that, a lot of these teams suck. But the ones that are good, when they wind up playing each other, I mean, it's a massive step up in class both ways. And that's sort of what this is. I mean, Vermont did play Albany, did split those games. UMBC played two very close games with Albany, probably the third best team here in the America East. I hope that whoever's in charge for the America East goes look here's what we're doing we're either taking the regular season champ or if you guys tie we're playing a rubber match and the winner goes to the NCAA Man. tournament that's what I would love to see I don't know if it happens and I don't know if we find that out by Thursday before these two games go off but that's what I would want to see here agree these teams are too, too much better than everyone else in that league and it, I think it is kind of hard to say who the third best team is here maybe Albany maybe Hartford um, you know I, I think this is a really weak league in general but both of these teams are solid so as you said the other thing about this 
you can get some really ugly games in leagues like this, but these should be good games. So um, I don't know if they'll be on ESPN plus or anything, but this, this could be a pretty interesting game if you want to watch something on Thursday, Friday as well. And I think, you know, I know it's a, an ultra low major, but it's, it's good basketball. These are two yeah. well-coached teams. These are two pretty good programs. I mean, I think it should be an enjoyable game to watch too, you know, of teams that actually know what they're doing, play with efficiency on both ends of the floor. Uh, this one should be, you know, worth your time, worth your energy. And of course, too, you know, what happens on Thursday could impact your handicap for Friday. Speaking of Friday, last game here from you, UC Irvine and Fullerton. We kind of touched on this one a little bit already. Yeah, so you probably already know where I'm going with this one. But, you know, here's my premium look ahead since the Notre Dame got canceled. Um, I like Irvine in this one. I think Fullerton is an overrated team, and they're also coming off a COVID pause. So Fullerton's a regression candidate for sure. UC Irvine, very good defensively. Uh, I have a strong lean toward UC Irvine here. I want to see what the number is. And I strongly encourage you to take the opening line or something close to it here, because I imagine Irvine will open something like nine or nine and a half. And this probably gets bet up pretty quickly. So um, I think Irvine would be a good play early on here for this one. And I think Irvine's a bit of a positive regression candidate offensively. I mean, they take far too many mid-range twos but they're only shooting 55% at the rim. I mean, that, that's got to improve, I would think, with a team that's usually one of the better offensive teams out there in that league. One more game for me, because I, I think this matchup is pretty interesting here from the WAC. We're, we talked a good bit of WAC on today's show, yeah. too. Friday and Saturday, New Mexico State and Utah Valley. Now, I know you talked about New Mexico State as kind of a play-on team for you as they kind of got some more repetition, got to play some more. They've been pretty underwhelming here so far to this point in time. But Utah Valley, what I looked at with them and I thought was pretty interesting was when you look at some of those proximity metrics over at Haslam Metrics, they take a lot of shots close to the rim. They get inside very, very well. They've already had 49 dunk attempts so far this season here in just 15 games. They've got 317 attempts at the rim, 214 in the mid-range. Utah Valley seems like they've got the makings of a very efficient offense against a New Mexico State team that we know is is pretty good year in and year out. I don't know what to do with this game. I'll be, I'll be honest, you know. Um, I think New Mexico State's 2-2 two and two ATS since I brought up to back them, but the two losses, um, they lost outright badly. So, I mean, this is a team that's really not been very good, and they, they have the most talent in the conference. But, you know, they don't really even get to play at home. I believe their games are being played in Texas here. Uh, yeah, El Paso, Eastwood High School in El Paso, Texas. Nice. So, uh, you know, that messes up uh, New Mexico State for this year, certainly. And New Mexico has really had a lot of trouble this year as well. So I think it makes it hard to know if you should buy on this team, even though they're rated pretty lowly at this point. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to do with this game because Utah Valley has been pretty good. You could argue Utah Valley is a bit of a regression candidate. They have been really good on offense, though. Like you said, they get to the rim so much. They get a lot of free throws, too, because they get to the line so much. Because they're good at offensive rebounding, they get to the basket so much. Um, New Mexico State's going to be favored by, what, six, six and a half, something like that. Uh, I don't know about this game. I don't know what to do with this one. I think I want to wait and see what happens in the first game and see if there's a chance to bet the second one. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. A lot of stuff that we crammed into today's show. I don't know how long it's gone. It feels like it's taken longer than most of our shows, but uh, 
you know what, man, we, we got into a groove. We talked about a lot of good things and, and you do a lot of good things over at the website as well. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think we had a, a lot of good information. I hope the listeners got a lot from it that can help them win. Um, you can go over to huntersportsfix.com, check out my premium packages. Also free picks available at the newsletter. You can sign up for that at the top of the page, huntersportsfix.com. And also um, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter, I'm going to be sharing some of my totals projections, giving some first half free plays, uh, bonus plays on Twitter as well. So if you don't follow me already, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. I know they got a lot out of your Notre Dame Clemson breakdown. I know that. Yeah, I love I, I love that <laughs> breakdown. Uh, let's just say this: there's no way that one's going to lose. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Glass half full. Positive regression there <laughs> to finish up today's show with Kyle Hunter again at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Always appreciate the show, man. Always appreciate the chat. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, man. Thanks. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter again at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. HunterSportsPicks.com is the website. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. We'll talk about golf with this week's golf tournament, the Genesis Invitational. We'll talk NHL. We'll talk the road course at Daytona here for this weekend. A lot of good things coming up on that edition of ATS Radio. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.